From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in on this cold Tuesday. Well, coming up, the Arctic blast sweeping across the country, setting record low temperatures, shut down the federal government here in Washington, D.C. Storm also led to the cancellation of thousands of flights, making a short week in Congress even shorter, as most members were not able to get into D.C. today, so there were no votes. On the docket this week, another temporary funding measure to prevent a partial government shutdown that is looming for midnight Friday night. Also, a contempt of vote, a contempt of Congress vote on Hunter Biden is on the list of things to do this week. We'll get an update from Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter, a member of the House Budget Committee. And a planned pro-Palestinian walkout by federal workers was put on ice after today's federal government closure due to the winter storm. House Speaker Mike Johnson had pledged to ensure appropriate disciplinary proceedings were taken against all participants in the walkout. Now, this planned walkout came after this weekend's riot at the White House, where despite damage to government property, there were no arrests. We're going to talk with Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI agent and Navy SEAL. Now, over the weekend, voters in Taiwan sent a strong message to China by electing a pro-democracy, pro-independence candidate, William Lai. But earlier today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, in an interview with CNBC at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, was also sending a message to China. When it comes to uh, Taiwan itself and when it comes to uh, cross-strait relations, we've been focused on, on one thing and one thing intensely with many other countries around the world. Peace, stability, no change to the status quo, the peaceful resolution of any differences. We'll discuss the importance of the Taiwanese vote with Asian expert Gordon Chang. And brace yourself for 10 months of evangelical bashing now that Iowa voters have set the course for the 2024 presidential election. Trump has in some ways become religion for a certain section of the American electorate, and especially for evangelicals, that it's not about the virtue anymore, it's about the vice that Trump expresses. And I think you see that playing out in Iowa, where the evangelical vote is key, it is central to what is going to unfold tonight, and it is very much a group of people that, that find that Trump is, in some ways, the second coming. <sighs> that was MSNBC's Alex Wagner last night. Uh, we're going to look at the data from uh, Donald Trump's historic win in last night's Iowa caucuses with Brent Kylan, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives here at the Family Research Council. Our word for today comes from Genesis 39. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. You know, just when things were looking up for Joseph, he lands on go to jail. But, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed mercy to him, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. So how do you make the best out of the worst? Well, you serve the Lord. Don't let your circumstances, orchestrated by others, take your eyes off of Jesus. Because then, instead of being usable, we become bitter and angry, rendering ourselves useless to God and the eternal purposes of His kingdom. To find out more about joining our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. 
While the, while the House has uh, pushed uh, first votes of the week to tomorrow due to the weather and cancellation of flights, members unable to get in, the U.S. Senate is still scheduled to vote within the next hour on a procedural vote on a continuing resolution to extend government funding and avoid a partial government shutdown that will begin if a deal is not reached by midnight on Friday. Now, some Republican members of Congress oppose the CR, with many pushing to have border security addressed in this funding battle. You know, with weather delays snarling the return to D.C. for many members of Congress and a busy legislative week ahead, what can we expect before midnight Friday night? Join me now to discuss this is Congressman Buddy Carter. He is a member of the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Great to see you, Tony, always. So Congress facing a, what was already a short week with Monday being a federal holiday. Uh, votes were have taken, to have taken place tonight. That's not going to happen. Um, are we going to have time to get everything done this week? Well, what we're going to have time to do, I'm afraid, is to have another short-term CR. And I, I'm disappointed in that, but it looks to be the only way that we're going to be able to keep the government open. Look, I would much rather close the border and then and shut down the border than to shut down the government. But at the same time, we have got to get this done. Uh, the the speaker is proposing another laddered approach where we take the four that were due this Friday, the four appropriations that were due this Friday, and extend them to March the first, and extend the others to March eighth. Uh, as you just pointed out, the Senate is set to, to vote on that, and then I, I think we'll vote on it and probably get it done before Friday and avoid a shutdown. But still doesn't take away from the fact that not only have we got to stop this um, th th this out-of-control spending, but we got to do something about the southern border. It is out of control. More people cross that border during the month of December than ever. E even in November, there was a 236% increase in the number of people who who crossed that border than there was in 2020. It's just ridiculous. And not only is it the people who are crossing that illegally, but the drugs, the fentanyl that is crossing that border, that is infesting our communities and killing our Americans, killing 200 people every day. This has got to be stopped. This is just out of control. You know, there, there are estimates upwards of 10 million illegal immigrants that have come into the country since the Biden administration came into power. That's that's a population larger than almost half the states of the country. I mean, there's a huge population that has come in. So let me ask you this, uh, Congressman Carter. It, it, there was the supplemental bill that was the funding for Ukraine that was supposed to be coming over right after Christmas. That seems to be hung up. They can't agree on the border related language in that bill. What other measure might be before the House where we can address the border issue? Well, what needs to happen with the border issue is that the Senate needs to pass H.R. 2. That is the most comprehensive and best border bill that we have. We pass it out of the House. It's over in the Senate right now. They need to pass it. But they're, they not, they're, they're not going to take that up. So you're going to have to attach it to a must-pass piece of legislation to get anything done regarding the border. Because Schumer's not going to take up that bill. No, he's not. You're absolutely right. And we're not naive enough to believe he is. But at the same time, that's what needs to happen. Yes. But at the same time, to your question, you know, what can we do? Well, we can attach any funding, whether it be supplemental or for the budget as a whole, that it's going to we're going to have to have changes, going to have to have changes in our policies 
uh, toward the border. We're going to have to shut down that border. Not only are we going to have to have changes, and yes, we're going to have to have more money, but it's more than just throwing money at it. And it's more than just changes in policy. It's enforcing the law that's already on the books. That's what right. this administration needs to be doing. Right. So, so let me ask you this, Congressman Carter. Is this issue of the border, as you've clearly outlined, it's impacting the entire nation. Is this something worthy, worth having the fight in shutting down government if the Democrats won't move on this issue? I think it is, and a lot of my colleagues think it is, too. It is without question. And when I go back to the district, they, they're talking about two things primarily. One is inflation. You know, prices are just killing people these days. Right. But the other is the border. That's what they're interested in. That's what they right. want to see stop. Well, you know, that, that's very interesting, Congressman, because last night in the Iowa caucuses, I mean, that's all the way up north, the number one issue for, and I'm going to talk about this later in the program, number one issue for caucus goers was immigration. That's followed by the economy. That's it. That's exactly right, Tony. And when you think about it, it's in, you know, every state is a border state. We're being impacted. Every state in this country is being impacted by what's going on at that southern border, whether it be the fentanyl crisis or whether it be the illegals who are being shipped to every state. Who every state's having to work with these, and even the blue states. You know what's going on in New York now. They're sending them New Jersey. Let, New let, let me let me that. ask you about the the fentanyl issue because you're a pharmacist. You, yes. you you understand you know what's happening in that world, the pharmaceutical world. How acute is this problem of overdoses that are connected to fentanyl? What's driving this? What's driving it is the amount of fentanyl that's available now and the amount of drugs that are available over the Internet. People are getting them. You know, let me encourage any young person who is listening right now watching this program, please don't ever take anything that you don't know where it came from, that you don't know that it came from a registered pharmacy. Please don't take it. I'll give you a quick story, Tony. I I was um, and, and I know better than this, but I was at a town hall meeting and I, I referred to it as fentanyl overdose. And a mother corrected me, as she should have, and she said, no, sir, it's not fentanyl overdose. It's fentanyl poisoning. She said, my son took one pill, and he's dead. That's poison. Mm. And it's coming across our southern border. That is wide open. I, I, I want to make sure the record is straight here, Congressman uh, Carter, because when we talk about the House, you know, passing these bills, going over to the Senate, and the Senate's not doing anything, and then you, you have— uh, who I, Chuck Schumer, who I call the Senate scare leader, getting up talking about uh, government shutdowns. The House has actually passed, if I'm not mistaken, seven of the 12 appropriations bills. The Senate, how many have they passed? They not passed any out of the full Senate, and then they passed, I believe, all of them out of committee, but none of them out of the full Senate. So we, we, we've still got some work to do. I'm convinced and I'm confident that we can get the rest of them done if we set our mind to it. But we're not going to do it unless we have unless we have some cuts in the budget and real savings, not just this, uh, not, not just proposed savings, but real right. savings in the budget. And also when we secure that border, those two things have to be done. You know, when I'm at home, people are asking me all the time, how can you justify sending money to another country to secure their border when our border's not secure. Tony, great I don't question. Know the answer to that. I mean, it's a great question. It's common sense. I mean, that's the, the most Americans, the vast majority, I would say, have basic common sense that no, we need to take care of our country first, which would be securing the border, keeping those who want to do harm to us from coming in uh, before we can help anybody else. It's like a, you know, when you're on the airplane. 
before you put the mask on somebody else, you put it on yourself. That's a good analogy. And, and, that's, and it's what people are demanding in our districts. That's what they're, they're saying. Stop this. Stop this. This is crazy. And then they're stop, they want us to stop this out of control spending as well. If you look at our budget right now, we are, you know, we the, the federal government is spending all total with revenues and everything over six point four trillion dollars a year. I mean, that's almost two hundred four thousand dollars a second. The speed of light is only one hundred eighty six miles a second. We're spending money faster than the speed of light. And we're not getting anywhere. In fact, uh, we're moving backwards. Uh, final question for you, Congressman Carter. Does the House get it done? Does Congress get it done this week? Or is is they uh, and I'm not I don't think a, a shutdown is not the end of the world. It's only a partial shutdown and nobody most people won't even notice it. Is that uh, still on the table? Is it is it within the realm of possibilities? Oh, there's no question about it. It's very much on the table. And, and you know, the probability is high that that may indeed happen. And, and good points you made. It won't be the whole government, but it will be four different agencies, four different areas, if you will. And that's that's significant. Yeah. Congressman Buddy Carter, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Coming up, President Biden is campaigning on decrying lawlessness and, and all these threats to democracy and going back to January the 6th. So so why is he silent on the violence of the left? I mean, he could have simply looked out the window of the White House this weekend and saw the pro-Hamas Palestinian rioters. But you know what? There were no arrests there. Why? We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Hope you're staying warm wherever you are. All right, we were just talking about the border issue. We're going to be talking about that a lot this week. And, and so I need your help here. This is where your participation is uh, very helpful. As I say, our republic is not made for spectators. It's made for participants. With this uh, record number of illegal crossings uh, under President Biden's watch, Congress has to shut this border down. And the Republicans in the House, I know their margins are thin. thin. I mean, they've got about a one-vote margin with a couple members that are out uh, because of illnesses. But we need the House leadership to use every tool possible to leverage this issue and shut down the border. So we've got a, we've got a petition uh, that we're, we are going to take up to the House leadership, but we need you to sign it. Text the word BORDER to 67742, and you can sign it BORDER to 67742. That's B-O-R-D-E-R, border to 67742. Sign that petition so we can get this border secure. Well, President uh, Biden, unable to campaign on his administration's failures like an open border, uh, he has attempted to make the upcoming presidential election all about January 6th and alleged threats to democracy. But if President Biden wanted to see lawlessness in action, All he needed to do over the weekend was look out the White House window. On Saturday night, non-essential personnel had to be evacuated from the White House as pro-Hamas demonstrators attempted to storm the White House gates. Now, despite the violence, which included sticks and debris hurled at Secret Service officers and attempts to scale the White House fence, um, the reports indicate that no protesters were arrested in the incident. Now, even the D.C. police chief said that there were injuries to officers, but yet there were no arrests. Why? Joining me now to discuss this, Jonathan Gillum. Uh, he is uh, and has an extensive law enforcement background, serving as a Navy SEAL, federal air marshal, and Homeland Security, with Homeland Security, as well as an FBI special agent. Jonathan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you. So, um, is it just my observation, but does there appear to be a double standard in the way we're treating uh, acts of violence and lawlessness in this country? Well, there's a double standard in uh, law enforcement at the highest levels, I think, is um, when you look at the, the officers that were on the ground, they're facing these threats, no matter who the threat comes from. But when you look at how it's treated in media, you look at the fact that they're, in some cases, not arresting people. Are they not being allowed to arrest people? Or are they just being pulled back behind another fence? 
Um, D.C. is a leftist community. It's a far leftist community. And and uh, the best example is this biased uh, law enforcement atmosphere where if you go up there and uh, you uh, have a group of people that get together because of the breakdown of government and because government's not doing their job, well, you're going to be looked at in some cases uh, as a terrorist just for saying those things. Right. But yet you can go um, join up with a group that has been considered a, a terrorist organization that uh, took responsibility for killing uh, over a thousand people and slaughtering babies in Israel. Um, and you're going to be treated as though uh, you have every right to be out there when uh, even the things that they're talking about have nothing to do with this nation. Uh, Jonathan, um, that's a good distinction to make, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I have two adult children that are in law enforcement. I do not think that this coddling of lawlessness is reflective of the rank-and-file men and women who serve um, wearing a badge. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's at the highest ranks. But, but have you heard that from, from, you know, formerly you've been in federal law enforcement? What are you hearing from those that you've worked with in the past? Is, is this administration throttling back law enforcement from enforcing the law when it is politically correct? It is the politically correct, the leftist crowd doing it. We have to look at uh, from the top down. And so I think the, the violence in Chicago is a perfect example. Um, the leftists get into power, and it's not just that they're a mayor or a governor, which is the case in Illinois, but they're also uh, prosecutors, uh, they're uh, chiefs of police, or they're high-ranking officials in the, in the police department. And so when they, when they take their activism um, into uh, an, a, a part of the government, and then they stack the ranks with those activists, what ends up happening is that, first off, you have a breakdown in policy. Then you have a changing of the laws where law enforcement can't even do their job. But here's where they get us with the long term and where they do affect the rank and file is that long ago, especially in the federal government, uh, they started changing how they recruit, who mm -hmm. they recruit, right. the way the commercials are aimed. And so the people that you have now in the rank and file are a mix of good Americans who want to serve their country and then activists who serve an ideology. And that's the scary part for people like your, your two children that are on the well, job. And, and we see, we've seen the same thing in the military. Uh, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very similar to this. At a certain point, w w you hit a tipping point. And, and then you, you, you have widespread lawlessness, which then leads to, to tyranny. Right. Right. And isn't that that's exactly how this happens. And it happens very quickly. I mean, the, the buildup has been very slow. But when you showed that video there just a minute ago, you ha people have to realize the the individuals that they showed up against that fence are American citizens and they're interspersed with some professional activists. But these aren't uh, minorities that came over the border and uh, and all of a sudden became activists. Some of them may be, but you're looking at people right there that are Americans who grew up in a neighborhood in a home. And on the other side of that fence, you have people making policy that are allowing these people right. to do these things and get away with but, it. But, but the, and that's a scary thought. It is, Jonathan, but it's also a frustrating thought when you still have the same agencies pursuing people who are at the 
Capitol on January the 6th, still tracking them down for trespassing. But here you have people trying to scale the fences, injuring police officers, and it's crickets. Right, and not only that, but they're making threats. There was another rally where they want to uh, normalize um, killing uh, in the name of the, whatever their cause was. Yeah. I think that one did get shut down. Um, but here's what we're going to see as far as this goes is uh, it can, it'll push, as you said, it'll push to one particular point in which it will crumble uh, the entire system of justice. Right. I think we're That's... very close to that now where the system of justice just, um, it, it just becomes blind uh, I... as it has with Trump. I uh, think it'll be that way for all of us. I, I, uh, Jonathan, I think you're right. And that's something that we need to be praying about, voting about, and standing for. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. We're out of time. You got it. Thank you. Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to come back on the other side of the break to talk about Taiwan and their elections that were held this weekend. They sent a strong message. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. This is Washington Watch. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And be sure uh, to help us out on the border issue to send that message to the Republican leadership in the House. Got to secure the border. Text BORDER to 67742. Sign the petition. BORDER 67742. For the third consecutive election, Taiwanese voters have sent a signal. They want a leader who stands up to China. Uh, Last Saturday, they elected the current vice president and former independence advocate, William Lai, as their next president. Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party wasted no time responding, sending warships to intimidate the Democratic Island and criticizing nations who congratulated the new Taiwanese leader. 
What can we expect from the administration of the new Taiwanese president? And does election does this election keep Taiwan on a collision course with the Chinese Communist Party? And where does America factor in? Joining me now to discuss this, Gordon Chang, a distinguished senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China, and China is Going to War. You can follow him on X under the handle at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon G. Chang, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony Perkins. So your reaction to this weekend's election there in Taiwan? Freedom had a great day, which means that Xi Jinping and the Communist Party had a horrible day. You know, uh, William Lai, you asked, what can we expect? Well, he said throughout the campaign that his motto was going to be continuity. Continuity with uh, Tsai Ing-wen, the current president. Um, and, you know, this, yeah, Ch Taiwan's on a collision course with China, but it's not because of the Democratic Progressive Party or William Lai or anything like that. They're on a collision course with China because of China. Mm -hmm. And even if one of the pro-China candidates had been elected on Saturday, there still would be a collision because Xi Jinping would be demanding that they surrender to China. And that's just not possible in a democratic society where people believe that they are not Chinese. Gordon, you would, and I've, I've met with some of the Taiwanese leaders and, and, and I, I greatly appreciate their boldness, their courage. And I would think, I mean, they are looking to America for, to, for support, but I'm not sure they're going to find it in this administration. Earlier today at the uh, World Economic Forum, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken essentially said, we're, we're working to maintain status quo. We want peace among all people. Um, as you said, we might want peace, but I'm not so sure that's what's on China's agenda. No, it certainly isn't. You know, we've heard a lot of bland statements from the Biden administration. They sound good to the ear, but during the three years, you know, we have witnessed the failure and catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, Russia's attack on Ukraine, China and Russia fueling insurgencies across North Africa that looked like wars, and of course, the October 7th attack on Israel, which now is spread to the Red Sea, um, the Persian Gulf, and the Indian Ocean. So really, what has occurred is a failure of the international system under Biden. Yeah, they can tell us nice-sounding words, but they don't mean anything because they're not backed up. So, so, Gordon, help us understand this region of the world and what is happening right now with when we see Ukraine, we've got the Middle East that is, uh, you know, about to spill over into probably a regional conflict. Quite possibly it has the potential. Do we need to be watching Asia now? Do we need to be watching China? Uh, is, is there a potential for a move uh, on Taiwan by China? I'm really concerned because the Chinese can see the feeble responses of the Biden administration to all these crises and then believe that they can do what they want. Now, um, Beijing may be misreading the Biden administration. I don't know. But what's important is what the Chinese think. And I think they're getting the message that they have a, green, a free hand to green light all sorts of invasions around the world. You know, Tony, in 1939, there were crises across the world. There were wars across the world. And they merged into what we now know as World War II. And unfortunately, the same dynamic is occurring today. And I hope to God it doesn't have the same result. But we are on a momentum toward global conflict. So timeline when you America's in an election and I mean, two polar 
opposites when it comes to to not just candidates, but the parties. The parties are identifying totally different on when it comes to foreign policy, national security. Does China make a move before there's a change, or do they wait to see if we still have the same leadership, same lame leadership uh, next year, and then they have free reign? You know, I think that if they believe that Biden isn't going to be reelected, that could very well be a factor pushing them toward war. But primarily, I think their go-no-go decision is going to be based on domestic Chinese considerations. And we have some idea what they are, but the system has become more opaque under Xi Jinping, so we have trouble understanding. But we do see symptoms of distress in Chinese society, and that could lead to Xi Jinping deciding that he's got to go to war, you know, regardless who gets elected on November 5. But clearly, this is one of those consequential moments in history, perhaps the most consequential moment. Last question. We're up against the break. But China's economy, how strong, how weak is their economy? I think that it's basically at zero percent growth, maybe negative one, maybe plus one. It's nowhere near the 5.2 percent that the premier of China mentioned at Davos, um, because we see a lot of indicators pointing to negative uh, growth. And we see deflation tightening its grip over but the Chinese economy. Does war that help means them? That can't be growth. Does conflict and war help their economy? It certainly helps Xi Jinping, perhaps, because he needs to have something to distract the Chinese people from his failing domestic policies, which are, of course, the economy, but also other failing policies. Gordon Chang, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Well, thank you so much, Tony. And stay safe. I will. And you stay warm. Coming up, Iowa voters braved sub-zero temperatures last night to caucus and a historic outcome for Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that caucus and break down the numbers next with Brent Kyler. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply 
and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Thanks for tuning in for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Okay, uh, as I said before, uh, this is a program for participants, not spectators, because our republic demands it. So I've got another action item for you, something that actually has a very short turnaround, and it has to do with the World Health Organization and the Biden administration. And uh, helping explain that for us, Chris Gasick uh, joins me. Chris Gasick is... Um, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Studies here at the Family Research Council. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. The World Health Organization uh, proposing uh, new guidelines for pandemic preparedness. It's basically a global power grab being encouraged by the Biden administration. But there's a window of opportunity for Americans to speak into this because the Department of Health and Human Services has a comment period regarding this pandemic um, a preparedness agreement. Tell us about it. Uh, that was a perfect description, Tony, and it's good to be with you. Uh, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services posted a notice about a month ago, and the window is closing for comments on the new uh, this draft pandemic agreement. It's really a treaty. It's about 30 pages, but uh, so it's a big document. There's a lot in it. I mean, a lot of it's very important is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the, the window closes on Monday January 22nd at 5 p.m., and you need to send your comments in by email, and there's an email address. So FRC Action has put together an alert, and that information is available from us. So that's, you know, the Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I want, I want to, I, I mean, anything having WHO attached to it is bad, but I want people to know how bad this really is. I mean, there is some outrageous provisions in this that you have uncovered as you've dug through it. Tell us about it. Well, I can just say that the scope of the, um, the power grab going on here that's being proposed is so monumental. It, what'll eventually, what, what essentially happens or what they're calling for is that the, all the nations that are going to be parties to it, and the Biden administration is one of those parties and the United States will become a party to, the, to this agreement will basically cede just enormous aspects of economic uh, rights and powers over to the World Health Organization in terms of all sorts. I mean, you, you can't even imagine, you know, supply chains, intellectual property, you know, rights to surveillance of, 
you know, genetic materials, and it, it, it goes so far and wide. And then included in all this is the creation of, a new, of just some new massive, uh, you know, pandemic treaty enforcement bureaucracy that's going to have to be just enormous because this, uh, this agreement covers almost every aspect that you can imagine of any economy. The, 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 when you talk about uh, this pr- primarily pertains to pharmaceuticals, but one of the issues in here is it must provide an uninterrupted supply of trans hormones and surgeries. I mean, what is that doing in this? Well, you know, they, they're masters at sort of folding in every agenda that they have, right? So they'll, I mean, for example, they can... The, the, a, a guiding principle of the overarching document, it's right up at the top, is this term that the, the, the agreement is guided by equity. Well, equity is this sort of neo-Marxist uh, social justice talking point. It's a, it's, a, it's a framing device that really means socialism. And in this, they mean that uh, there has to be recognition of all sorts of oppressed minorities. You, within, this, within this terminology and in this, this sort of social justice uh, neo-Marxist framework, you can fit any of these kinds of uh, needs and wants. and, and So it, what does that have to do with preparing for a pandemic? Nothing. <laughs> it has nothing to do it, with it. It's about pushing a leftist agenda. F- absolutely. But it, it, they're going to use this, the, 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 the threat of a pandemic is a vehicle for essentially an enormous broad-ranging power uh, grab that has nothing to do with pandemics. And and part of this is, I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I've read through it, is that it is a, you know, where we we have the redistribution of of wealth here in this country, socialism. Mm -hmm. This takes it to a global level where the United States would be responsible for whatever we manufacture. We've got to give 20 percent of it away. We, we, we can't keep those treatments or PPE for ourselves. We've got to give it to other countries. Well, We're right, and forced this is all part of this sort that. of equitable notion, right? It's not fair for the United States to have all these, you know, vaccines and drugs and things like this. Which, which by the way, we produce and, we, and we, we make it available to the rest of the world. Right. Um, but one of the things that they want to be able to do, these sort of power centers, this new secretariat that they're going to form, is that they want to be able to tell all the, the you know, the rich nations, all the, 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 the nations that produce the, the drugs and the technology, that they're going to have to hand over uh, their, their products to other places, right? And so you can imagine the corruption that's going to go. I mean, it, it is so mind-boggling, the, the scale, the vision of, of uh of, of, you know, power acquisition that they have and that they're using for this, uh, for this agreement is just, it's just breathtaking. It, 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 it is so outlandish that it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you, you can't, when, when you actually talk about this, it's like you're making it up because it's just so far-fetched, but it is actually real. It's on paper. They're pursuing it. In May, it will be here if it's not stopped by Congress. So we're working on getting Congress to stop it, but we can kind of gum up the wheels a little bit if we have lots of comments going into the government because they have to process each of those comments. So folks, text the word WHO, WHO, that's who, WHO to 67742. You'll get the link that Chris made reference to. It'll give you the uh, the instructions there, and you can file your comment. It'll help slow this process down as we try to kill it. It needs to go away. It needs to die. Uh, 
I mean, there's no there's no fixing this. It's just bad. No fixing. Chris, thanks so much for uh, digging into this and uh, giving us an update. You're welcome. All right, Chris Gasick, uh, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Studies here at the Family Research Council. All right, I want to move on to last night's uh, caucuses in Iowa. Former President Donald Trump won the Iowa caucus, caucus um, with a commanding 51% of the vote. I mean, that's it's historic. It's, it's a record setting. Now, the, the media is saying, well, uh, it was lowest turnout ever. Yeah, well, I mean, the weather was unbelievable, but people braved the weather to go out and to caucus, which is a fairly lengthy process, and register their votes. Donald Trump came in first, second place, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He received 21 percent of the vote. Again, Donald Trump, 51 percent. And then former U.N. ambassador uh, from uh, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley received 19 percent of the vote. Uh, so what did we learn from last night and how is that going to shape the rest of 2024 in the presidential election? Join me now to talk about this. Brent Kylan, vice president for strategic initiatives at the Family Research Council and FRC Action. Brent, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. OK, your big picture analysis from last night's results. You know, Tony, I, I think one of the things uh, that stuck out was uh, was Trump's, uh, you know, margin of victory, as, as you pointed out. Um, remember, he hasn't been on the ballot in in four years, so people wondering what would the what would the voters say when they got a got a chance and and they they spoke on that in Iowa. The other thing that I found significant um, when you look at long term and what what this means for the the Republican presidential uh, primary, uh, this is now down to a really a three person race. We had. Uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy go into the night, then then based uh, on the results, uh, he actually has now uh, pulled out and he's endorsed Trump. So so we have Trump with that that lead uh, receiving over over 50 percent of the of the the vote there in Iowa. Um, Ron DeSantis coming in second, which he really needed to do. He was able to do that. And then Nikki Haley, a, a close third there. Uh, and she is she's actually pulling pretty well in New Hampshire, which is next week. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch that. There's kind of kind of two strategies as I see it coming out of this. I think um, Donald Trump is hoping to make this primary season as as short as he can. Uh, really wrap this thing up so he can focus focus on the general election. Uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are both jockeying for that second uh, position, if you will, and they're trying to make it a two-person race. They really kind of want this th- thing to go as long as they can, hoping that it can become a, a two-person race, and then one of them can pick up a little bit more traction down the road. So we'll see what happens. All right, Brent, let's talk uh, evangelical vote. There is a large evangelical population in Iowa. They're very accustomed to participating in these caucuses. Last time, 2016, uh, it was uh, Ted Cruz that captured uh, the bulk of the evangelical vote, but not last night. It wasn't last night. Um, so uh, these evangelicals and born again uh, Christians made up 55 percent of the Iowa caucus goers. So the majority and of those, the majority of them uh, supported Donald Trump. That was 53 percent. Um, the next highest uh, vote getter, if you will, was Ron DeSantis, and he received 27 percent of that. So um, just interesting to see, you know, where this voting block is at, what they said when they went 
to those caucuses last night. This is a group we're going to be hearing a lot about in the in the months to come this year in 2024. Well, and and they definitely showed up last night. I, I, I want to talk uh, issues. But first, I, I just want to forewarn everyone. It's coming. Uh, the the evangelical bashing is uh, is going to start now trying to and, and folks, let me tell you what this is about. It's about suppressing the evangelical vote. It's about uh, discouraging you from participating in the process. And it's going to get quite ugly. But here was MSNBC last night. This is uh, Alex Wagner, MSNBC host, uh, clip five. Trump has in some ways become religion for a certain section of the American electorate, and especially for evangelicals, that it's not about the virtue anymore. It's about the vice that Trump expresses. And I think you see that playing out in Iowa, where the evangelical vote is key. It is central to what is going to unfold tonight. And it is very much a group of people that that find that Trump is in some ways the second coming. I mean, we're, we're going as I said, this is all designed to intimidate, marginalize, and suppress the evangelical vote. And as we talked about yesterday on the program with David Clawson, we've, we've got to make intelligent uh, decisions on voting. We must participate because there's so much at stake in this election. And last night, uh, the voters exit polling. People talked about the issues. What were the top issues last night that brought people out in this sub-zero weather to caucus? You're right, Tony. Des Moines yesterday recorded negative 30 degrees with the wind chill at one point. So these people were committed who came out. Those issues were uh, there. There were a couple different polls that were done. One was by CBS. One was by uh, CNN. Um, immigration and the economy were one and two in both polls. Now, in one, we had uh, immigration at the top. The other one, we had the economy. But but clearly in both, those were the those were the top uh, top issues that people were concerned about. And then you can see after that um, national defense was a was a motivating factor for a lot of folks and then uh, the the abortion issue uh, that came in fourth with uh, I think it was about 11 percent of, of folks saying that was their top issue it, it was interesting how that vote broke out for the, the abortion vote uh, Donald Trump capturing a, a a large portion of those who said abortion is a major issue for them I mean you look at his track record obviously uh, he is. He did a lot more than any other president on that issue. Ron DeSantis also picking up support. Um, he uh, he had a, a big advantage over uh, Haley on this point because those who uh, were pro-life, it appears, did not vote very strongly for Nikki Haley. Not at all, Tony. Uh, a couple questions were asked. Do you support uh, nationwide uh, pro-life protections? And uh, the majority of, of the people participating in the caucuses last night said they did. It was about 60 percent. Um, so a lot of strength in that pro-life uh, movement there in Iowa. Of those, uh, it was a significant majority that, that, supported, um, that supported Donald Trump. And then second place, uh, Ron. DeSantis. Uh, those that did not, so the uh, the under 40% that did not support any type of uh, national uh, pro-life protections, um, uh, Trump still won that group. The, the margin wasn't as high. I think he had about 42% support there. But Nikki Haley was actually the one uh, at a close second there at about 37%. So a lot of, a lot of 
pro-life voters yesterday, and it was interesting to see uh, just kind of what they said and what they felt about the candidates. You know, a couple of other, we're almost out of time, but a couple of other interesting points I found here is that even though the overall numbers were down in the number who participated, I think there were about 110,000 people participated in the caucuses. That was down from 187 in the 2016 caucuses, that there were a lot of new timers and the first timers, those who were, this is the first time they ever participated in the caucus, uh, Donald Trump captured 51% of those. That tells me that their campaign has a strategy to actually turn out new voters, those who have been kind of maybe on the sidelines, maybe not what we would call chronic voters, those who just vote sporadically. That could be the key to his success going forward. It really could be, Tony. And like you said, it was 110,000 that that didn't uh, really approach the, the record high of the 187,000 back in, in 2016. But the couple elections before that were about 120. So it so it actually was about average historically if you if you take a look back and again we're talking about um historic lows right. in terms of the temperature so right. so people were very engaged in I, I, I think i think it's because people. people realize what is at stake and yes. what this administration yes. has done and this is what we do pray we need to pray for our country even pray for our present leaders but we need to vote and we need to stand uh brent thanks so much for joining us appreciate it tony thank you All right, folks, we're going to talk more about this in the days ahead. Thanks for joining us tonight. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 